We're delighted to be able to gather together and to sing of something that provides for us far greater footing than we could possibly dare to dream. To sing a song of standing on this gospel that God has poured out for us, uh, that we belong to him through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. What an amazing truth to stand on. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read and consider verses 17 through 24 as we now see how the gospel has an impact and shapes the way that we look at life and live it out together. Hopefully this will be good encouragement to us. It will draw our hearts to the God of all grace, who has grace and mercy for us, and it would enable us and strengthen our faith uh, to follow him. Let's, uh, let's read these words, six, 17 through 24, in Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Guys, we consider these words this morning. Well, we uh, wrestle with many thoughts that might come flooding into our heads and into our hearts. We might be here this morning struggling with these old ways or living in these old ways. And so we come and we pray that you would press upon our hearts the scope and nature of your grace in the gospel of your son, Jesus. That you would bring timely conviction and comfort to our hearts. And that you would also enable us, strengthen us, encourage us to live out this new life that you've rescued us to. Oh God, may we see that this new way is far greater than any old ways that we've once gone over. God, may we desire it all the more in our lives. So be with us as we consider this passage, the preaching of your word, the hearing, the receiving, and the believing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Audi RS6 is technically a family wagon, which makes the following description I'm about to read all the more absurd. The RS6 boasts a twin-turbo V8 engine, which generates 725 brake horsepower, 675 pounds of torque, a 0 to 62 miles per hour in 3.3 seconds, and some of them can top out at 199 miles per hour. Those numbers are better than most top-end sport cars, not numbers of the vehicle that you're running to Coles and then the market basket before swinging by gymnastics to get your kid on the way home as you pick up something from your parents' house and then get dinner quick, right? To own such a mechanical marvel, a beautiful machine, to own it truly would be then to go out and experience it, not hide it away in a garage. Imagine keeping all that horsepower in a garage like it was trapped in a museum. Shameful. No. 
The true joy of an Audi RS6 is felt when you let it loose on that long entrance ramp off of exit four, then hugging every curve as you hit each leaf of the clover ramps on exit five, just circling around as fast as you can. That's what the RS6 is made for. And if you check under your seats, if your seat has a set of keys taped there, after the service, you can go next door to the Audi dealership and do just that. Of course, I'm kidding. They're closed. Anyway. (laughs) The Christian life is to be experienced. Like that RS6. It's to be experienced. It's to be lived. We are rescued from something, but we are also rescued to something. And the Apostle Paul is talking about both what we've been rescued from, but also what we are rescued to. And what we are rescued to, we are to live. We're not to hide it and tuck it away, but we are to live it out. And so hopefully as we see that in our passage today, that we'd be greatly encouraged to live out our lives according to the gospel, according to that which brings life, that we would live it out. And living out this life, Living according to the gospel is summarized in two convenient ways that Paul brings out here in our passage. Living this out means we are putting off the old and putting on the new. The life that we are rescued to is a life where we live this out, this putting off and this putting on. Ongoing. The ING is there intentionally. It's not a one-time only situation. It is the manner of our lives, no matter how many days we have, is that our lives would be putting off and putting on kind of lives. So let's dig in, let's find some encouragement, and let's go about living this out. So first is putting off the old. Putting off the old. And we have a couple of things that we need to wrestle with as we look at the putting off of the old. First is that we need to recognize that the old life is without Christ. That the old life is without Christ. If we want to understand what we're putting off, it's putting off that which is without Christ. The old life is without Christ. Let's consider what life without Christ looks like. Paul gives us the picture here. We're going to move through a few of these verses uh, fairly quickly, but, but just know that we are, we are rescued out of this. We're rescued from this old life. But he's writing this to people already rescued because that old life still has a lot of muscle memory in the way that we live. And so it is an ongoing putting off of the old. So let's consider what life without Christ looks like. So first thing that we find here is in verse 17. It's futile thinking. Look again at verse 17. Now I say... Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Again, Paul uses the word walk as a metaphor for life, for living. Don't live according to this way of without Christ. No, that way is, first of all, futile in thinking. So positively, we can say right thinking about God and the gospel informs our hearts and our lives and it leads to right living, logically so. But the opposite is true. 
So rejecting God will then lead to futile thinking. To live out your life as if there is no God or he doesn't really matter is to ultimately put your life on something that can't deliver. Something else that will not deliver, whether it's wealth, acceptance, power, pleasures, possessions, whatever it, you name it, comfort, to live out your life as if God isn't ultimate is to put it on something that can't bear the weight of ultimacy. Therefore, it's futile. It's not going to deliver. And so that's what Paul is saying. This old way of living without Christ is futile in its thinking, its perception and perspective of life and how to live it out. And then that sinks down further into our lives. The next thing that we see is that brings about a darkened understanding. The beginning part of verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. Now, earlier in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, he's describing believers as those who have hearts that have been enlightened. That have been enlightened. And here we're seeing believers, our unbelievers, are described as having hearts that are darkened. What are they, for the believer, what are they enlightened to? Well, it's enlightened to the glories of God through the grace of the gospel. That's what a believer is experiencing. And uh, having a heart that's enlightened to the glories of God through the grace of the gospel. An unbeliever is somebody that is what theologians would say is unregenerate. That is not made new, not made alive. And so their understanding is darkened, not enlightened to the glories of God through the grace of the gospel. Thirdly, that then leads to what we see in the next part of verse 18, that they're alienated from God. They're alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. The word for alienated means to be estranged or to have broken fellowship. So there is no fellowship, no relationship. They are alienated and broken and fractured from God. This is the old way of life. This is a life without Christ, futile in its thinking, darkened understanding, alienated from God. And that seeps down and sinks down into hearts and that is what we see at the end of verse 18 and then the next point also in the beginning of verse 19. So the next one is not only alienated from God, but then hardened hearts. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This hardness of heart means obstinate. That is an inability to admit wrong. A life without Christ is to have a hardened heart that has the inability to admit wrong. Now, I'm not talking about like, you know, be like admitting wrong that, oh, I, I give you the wrong directions there. I'm on my bad. I'm sorry about that. Or admitting if you said a harsh word to somebody, and you're like, oh, that was really my fault. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not talking about that kind of admitting of wrong. The admitting of wrong of saying, I've been living my life in full rejection of God, and that was wrong. And a hardened hardened heart doesn't want to acknowledge that in any way and will have all the defense mechanisms going off to never get to that point. The next defense mechanism is a calloused heart. And that's what we see at the beginning of 19. 
In the beginning of 19, it says, they have become callous. And that, that scar tissue over that heart from being hardened, from living a life that rejects God, futile in its thinking, darkened in its understanding, alienated from God, that heart that is hardened and now calloused over has lost the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. Lost the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. So that our things that we struggle with in us no longer compel us or cause us to feel uncomfortable. We're sort of dead to them. We're just dead on the inside. Unmoved by our condition of our life. Unmoved to even turn to God. To ask for help and see no need for it. And then from there, it worsens. And the rest of 19, it shows us that we then live out our lives given up to unrestraint. The rest of 19 says, um, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sensuality means to have a lack of self-restraint, especially to the kinds of lifestyle choices that are very vulnerable and intimate and, and deeply personal. And then from that, we see impurity, which is also another way of saying unrestrained behavior. It's just given over to the emptiness of within, chasing some sort of experience or pleasure from without. And as if that's not enough, the whole system is thoroughly corrupted and broken. That's what we see in verse 22, that life without Christ is corrupted with deceitful desires. In verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, where you become your own worst enemy, trapped under a loop that continues with worsening passions, something that you cannot break free from this, cannot break free from all that we just considered. There is nothing in and of you, of yourself, that is strong enough to break free from that description. Of futile thinking, darkened understanding, alienated from God, hardened heart, calloused, given up to unrestraint, and thoroughly corrupted with deceitful desires. Something has to happen to you in order for that to be broken from you. And we're called to a life that's putting that off. Because we aren't just simply rescued from something, but we are also rescued to something. Because we are going to want to live in something. And we need to realize that part of our life following after who we are in Christ, following after our Savior, is going to be a lot of work putting off the old way. Because a lot of that muscle memory is still ingrained. So that leads us secondly to see that putting off the old is ongoing. Putting off the old is ongoing. The first step of the ongoing aspect of this is crucial. Without this first step, anything else after it is worthless. And the first step is this. Faith in Christ. Step one is faith in Christ. Look again at verse 20 and also verse 21. I'm not sure verse 21 will be on there. So just listen carefully to verse 21. Verse 20 says, But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Learning Christ requires hearing and being taught. Hearing 
is referring to the initial gospel proclamation and response of faith. It is the step one. It is hearing the good news that a sovereign God graciously saves sinners through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Jesus, who entered into our humanity and lived a life that we could not live. We couldn't bear it all. We couldn't keep God's perfect standard. But Jesus came into our humanity and did just that. He lived perfectly in our place. Then he took that perfect life as a payment for our imperfect ones, ours that have been wrecked with our sin. He took on the penalty of our sin and paid it in full with his perfect life. He broke the power of sin over us by breaking it at the cross and demonstrating his victory in his resurrection. And he will one day remove the presence of sin from us, empowering us now by his spirit in the work that he's doing in and through our lives. And all of that is available to all those who look to Jesus, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, saying, that is enough for me, and I'm going to rest in that, trust that, cling to that, believe in that for my salvation. And the Bible says, all who look to Jesus will not be put to shame. That's step one. There are no other steps until that step finds a home in your heart. I don't know the condition of your heart this morning. It does not matter how many years or decades you put into church. The crucial thing for your life is what do you do with this gospel? Do you believe this and receive it through faith? Or do you think you have to clean up your life right a little bit better than it is and then finally God will accept you? My, I'm imploring you if your heart is far from God or hard toward God, or if there are calluses, and if you would even admit that to yourself right now, there are calluses on my heart. I would implore you, this is the gospel. This is the good news, that God saves sinners through his son, Jesus, and all who look to Jesus through faith in him, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, will be saved. Incredible news. Marvelous grace. Grace greater than all our sin. Hear it. But also know that it's taught. It's pressed, upon, pressed upon our hearts. It's, it continues to be relevant after step one of responding to it in faith. It's the ongoing application of the gospel to our lives. And that once alive, we taste the joy. We taste the joy of knowing what it means to be alive. And we respond by living. We respond by living. So it's important and crucial to see that step one of putting off is clinging to Christ through faith. Step two is the ongoing fight to keep it off. Step two is the ongoing fight to keep it off. When we are made alive, the definitive mark of that made aliveness is that the old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. The old represented a the whole of a person under the weight and bondage of sin. That's what the old represents. A person under the weight and bondage of sin. Romans 6, 6 puts it this way. We know that our old self was crucified with him, Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. So, we're no longer enslaved to it. We can go about putting it off in our lives. We have been rescued from it, 
from the bondage of it, the enslavery of it over our hearts, our lives, our minds. And now we can go about putting off in the way that we live. So what are some of the ongoing implications of putting off? Well, first of all, there is freedom. There is freedom. We've been rescued, so there is freedom. We don't go about putting off these things that we just listed in Ephesians 4, 17 through 22. We don't go about putting them off to secure what God offers in the gospel. We go about putting them off because we've received what God is giving to us in the gospel. If we tried to put off in order to gain, we would never be able to keep that burden. But we can put off because God has already given in Christ. Because of what Christ has secured, we are freed from the burden of earning. We're freed from the burden of earning our freedom. Our putting off flows from Christ taking on at the cross. So the first implication is that we need to understand that there is marvelous freedom to live out this life that we've been rescued to. Secondly, there is a fight. Being made alive and belonging to Christ through faith leads to a fight with sin. Before there was no fight. It was just, you were just enslaved to it. There was just bondage. It was telling you what to do and you did it. Happily, joyfully, all right along with it. But now there is a struggle. And the struggle is good news. Now there is a fight. God made us alive and to be alive is to fight. We are enabled by grace to fight. We are enabled by the grace that saves us to fight the presence of sin that once enslaved us. While sin's presence remains, while that muscle memory is still there lurking and luring, we are not powerless to fight it. We've been made alive. The third implication is not only is there freedom, not only is there a fight, but there is forgiveness. Because we will fail And when we fail, your own hearts will turn on you and and condemn you. We will struggle, and we will fall, and we will fail in the putting off the old. And your hearts will want you to feel that guilty verdict once again. Want to feel you sinking down into that shame. Want you to know that condemnation. Condemnation is for those who are under the power and penalty of sin. Condemnation means there is guilt and you have to pay the penalty. Forgiveness says there is guilt, but I have paid the penalty. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So while we are called to fight, we need to know we will fail. And as we do, We need to remind our hearts, speak to our hearts, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He already paid this penalty. Sense of that picture is like going to the pool with a little kid. Ever seen a little kid, maybe your little kid or other little kids in your family or whatever, getting into the pool? especially when they're younger and smaller, there's that tentative clinging to the side of the pool, right? Where their grip on that wall is is like superhuman. 
It's, a, it's almost as if they're like Spider-Man and they just like stick to the wall. You couldn't pull them off of that wall. It takes like three adults to get them off. Like, you know what I'm talking about? That, that little kid superhuman strength in the pool. But as the summer goes on, as they're in that pool more and more, as they start to feel more comfortable and confident, as they gain coordination and begin to tread, and as they start to feel a little more um, at ease with being in the water, and they start to get away from the wall on their own, and, and then the next thing you know, the summer is ending with all kinds of cannonball competitions in the deep end. And so it is with our life in Christ. We feel very unsure of ourselves and we're clinging to the side and we can't let go. But over time, as others are coming alongside us and encouraging us and strengthening us, the things that we considered in these past few weeks in Ephesians 4, we begin to gain a little more coordination and comfort. And we start to swim out into this life following after Jesus with a little more confidence. Being able to have cannonball moments. Being able to tread water even in the midst of stormy conditions. And so it is with our lives. So we can grow and gain more confidence in putting off of these old ways that once clung so tightly to us. It's not going to come all at once. It's going to grow and mature over time. But do not lose heart. He who is in you is greater than he is in this world. Now, It's important to also see this. It's not just putting off that we're called to. It's not just putting off of the old that we're called to. Because if it was just putting off of the old that we were called to and not putting on of the new, we would just be creating a vacuum in our thinking, a vacuum in our hearts, a vacuum in our lives. Something else will come along to replace those older things that we once were clinging to. Something else will come along. So we need to see that our putting off is simultaneously a putting on, a putting on of the new, a putting on of the new. And that putting on of a new shows up in in two ways here in our passage. The first is this. It seeks renewal. Putting on of the new seeks renewal in us. Look at verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So to put on is to be renewed. To seek renewal. And this renewal is by the spirit. It's happening in our mind. In our inward being. It's our ever-increasing grasp of our new identity in Christ and all that it entails. It is a work of the Spirit in us as we learn Christ from the steady diet of the Word and from corporate gathering of fellow believers for worship and for fellowship. It's the ongoing work of the Spirit. The Spirit brings new life and brings renewal to that life. I love what Paul says in his letter to Titus. In his letter to Titus in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Then goes on to say, By the washing of regeneration, that's that making alive work of the Holy Spirit, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us, renewing our minds, renewing our hearts afresh to the glories of God, the sufficiency of his grace, the power of the gospel. The Spirit works mightily in us through the Word and through the church to to bring about renewal in us. 
to do the putting off and putting on work that he has called us to, enabled us to. So, if the Spirit is working through the Word and, and the gathering of God's people, it would seem kind of foolish to cut those things out of our lives if, if the Spirit is bringing renewal through them. And so instead of seeing that daily devotion as some sort of check mark or obligation to do each day, what if you, your perspective was, this is an opportunity for the Spirit to bring renewal to my mind and to my heart, to my life. And instead of like just checking off that Sunday function that you go to, that you see that as a very unique opportunity in your week to sing and to pray and to set your heart under the Word and to do that with others and to be in each other's lives Sunday in and Sunday out in such a way that we're encouraging each other all the more to seek this sort of renewal. If we were to cut those out of our lives, all we're doing is putting us in a susceptible position to the deceitful schemes of our wandering hearts in this wearying world. Now, again, this is not information we are to seek, but transformation. Transformation that is Christ-bought and spirit-wrought. We're to seek this renewal. We're not called to cling to the side of the pool, but to grow and to live. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, the will of, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So putting on is seeking renewal. And putting on the new is also pursuing Christ-likeness. Pursuing Christ-likeness. Verse 24 goes on to say, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Look where the putting on leads to. Growth and true righteousness and holiness. That is, putting on is growing in Christ-likeness. And this doesn't come just by avoiding the old life, but also by pursuing the new one. We are made alive to pursue life in Christ. And this life in Christ will bring about a growing Christ-likeness. Righteousness and holiness are on best display, ultimate display, in Jesus. And God's purpose for our lives is to be conformed to the image of His Son. So his work in us, the renewing work of the Spirit in us, is to help bring about more of Christ in and through our lives. I love uh, what the same author of Ephesians says to Timothy in his letter, first letter to Timothy in verse, chapter 6, verse 11. He says, but as far for you, O man of God, flee these things, the old way. And pursue these things, the new way, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. There is a flee and pursue. There's a put off and a put on. We're called to both. We have been made alive to both. And this is for our good. This is for our, our hope and our surety in this life. That this is what God has called us to. And that we would... Hold on to it, embrace it, and live after it. 
And we need not be afraid of living rightly when we understand salvation rightly. We don't do these things. We don't pursue these things to gain standing with God. We pursue these things because God has given us standing with him in Christ. God saves sinners through the sacrifice of his son. And sinners dead in their sin are made alive by a gracious God. And awakened to life, we are to run to Christ and live to him through faith. Now, I want to ask you a question. Would God do all of that and not equip us to live out this new life? Would he do all of that saving work and then leave the rest of life to hang in the balance? Or would he not equip us and encourage us and strengthen us and forgive us and convict us and comfort us? And enable us then to live the life that he's rescued us to. Would being made alive have no effect in us? Meaning that our lives will look no different than when we were without Christ? To think a a believer, one who is made alive and trusting in Jesus for salvation is the same as one dead, severely underestimates God's making alive power. Been made alive that's true of you you've been made alive you were once dead but god made you alive did he make you alive to sit and wait no he made you alive to live and he's enabled us to live that life out experiencing his renewing grace His convicting and comforting and transforming power so that no matter what happens in this life, we're able to move on, move in, move forward, putting off and putting on. You were made alive to live and that Christian life is to be lived. Living is putting off the old, putting on the new. This is what it means to live according to the gospel. And in Christ, we have far more horsepower and torque and handling for all the things of this life. So Don't leave it in the garage. You've been rescued to something. You've been given something great. Let's go out on the open road with it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to bring about life and to enable us to live this life out. I pray that our hearts would find a sense of hope and comfort in that. God, there might be areas in our lives in which we admit right now, just even as we sit here, that we struggle mightily under. Maybe it is uh, sins of the past and their ongoing consequence in our life and it clouds our view of your grace. Maybe it's sins of the present. Maybe it's things that we're stuck in, trapped in, wrestling with, can't quite seem to have victory over, and it just feels like an unending cycle of shame and guilt. God, I pray for your spirit to bring transformative renewal to our hearts and lives if we find ourselves in that struggle that we would see that your grace is sufficient for us in this very moment would you bring conviction would you help us to see afresh the real nature and character of that struggle that it is this vestige of an old way that is alienated from you and darkened in understanding and hardened in heart God, would you bring us comfort that Christ has overcome all of that and has given us life? Spirit, would you renew us then to say no to that struggle or no to that sin and to fight for that struggle? 
And would you bring us timely encouragement? Maybe it's through others along the way who will walk with us and pray with us and read the word with us. God, help us in this, we ask. Help us to see that this life that you've rescued you is so incredible and that is richly provided for. God, that we would have faith that grows, encouraged and strengthened, that we would see that you indeed are worth it and that our hearts would be anchored in your glories and grace. God, would you do this so that what we find is more of Christ's likeness in our lives and in our church. That it would bring warmth to our worship. That it would bring authenticity to our fellowship. That it would bring purpose to our mission. That we'd be eager to see others come to know this overwhelming grace. You rescue people who are dead in sin and make them alive in your son, Christ. You give us life. Help us to live it out, we pray. To your glory and to our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.